Well, um, most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me uh, happened about five minutes ago. So uh, before service, I decided, you know what, probably be a good idea to go use the restroom. So I went and used the restroom, and then the speaker, over the speaker, I heard Mike saying, where's Benjamin? Where's Benjamin? <laughs> so I, had a, I have a lapel mic right here, and so I had a decision to make. I chose not to respond. <laughs> I'll be there in a second. Well, that was fun. We did have a good trip to Bologna. Um, and when I say we, I just mean me um, and the van. Um, but it was uh, excellent. Got up there. I'm sure they announced and got up there. They unhitched my trailer. They hitched it up somebody else and they took off. Um, and it was just, it was, it, was a, it was a good time all together, and I've, I'm just very glad that we can help them in that way. It's, I, I, you see tornadoes come through and wipe things out, and um, a lot of times the question is, well, what in the world is God doing here? And then you go up to the, go up to where the tornado wiped things out, and you see everyone in Bologna working together, working through their differences, um, being united to serve people the way Jesus would have us to serve them. And then you have people from Little Rock there cooking hamburgers for the people who are... you got people serving the people who are serving the people who are serving. It was just a, it was a fantastic thing, um, and uh, we were real glad to um, be a part of it. And thank you so much. That, that trailer was filled up quite successfully um, by some big donations and some small donations, and every little bit counts. Uh, the other day I was leaving um, McDonald's on Tuesday mornings. I won't be there this Tuesday morning, guys. Um, so, yeah. Uh, I've, I've got to offer my support to the, the whole baby thing. Um, and so, uh, but I was, lo- I was leaving McDonald's Tuesday morning. Uh, the guys had left. I was um, meandering out to my car. And there were two women walking out in front of me to their two separate vehicles. And I was walking uh, to my vehicle that was in between their two separate vehicles. And the woman on the right, and those of you um, who care, the woman on the east side of me uh, was, she, she was telling the woman to my left what, what, what her day looked like. They were having a conversation. So I was going to have to duck under their conversation, so I was, I, but the woman in the, to my left just got in her car, shut the door. This woman's still talking. So I turn and I listen. Because you don't want her to just talk to no one about her day. She had several stops to make. That's all she was getting at. But I went, you know, I just stood there and listened to it. I just felt like it would be weird for her to talk and no one to listen, so I listened. But then it hit me as I got home how odd she was. She's like, this young man just stood at and stared at me while I talked to this other woman. But she didn't know that other woman had abandoned her, and I was the only ear she had. <laughs> so it, it's, weird. it's weird when you come in. On, have you ever had one of those conversations where you... You, you think, I hope no one came in on the middle of that. 
You know, where the, the, the setup is so normal, but the end is like, oh, that's how the hobo ended up in my living room, you know? So there's this, like, weird tag on the end. You think, I hope no one came in during the middle of that conversation. So when you eavesdrop on a conversation, you got to, unless you know the context of what's happening, you don't know, you don't know everything that's going on. Um, if you had just walked up, on me standing listening to this woman talk about her day, you would think we knew each other. But we did not. We did not at all. And so, when you, when you encounter a conversation being held by two people, it's, it's important to know the, the backgrounds and the stories and the contexts and the personalities, all that up to that point. Even the tensions and the and the struggles. And that's what we, kind of, we find at the end of John. We find Jesus having a discussion with Peter. Having a private conversation with Peter in which he asks Peter, well, I was going to say three questions, but it's one question, three times. He asks Peter if he loves him. And... If you just stumbled upon this conversation on the beach, it would be a uh, it'd be an odd thing. You'd almost take you would take Peter's side, as I do often, and say, "He's told you already. What's going on? What's going on in this particular conversation?" Now, last week, if you weren't here with us last week, we looked at how Jesus um, fed his disciples and fed Peter, and I think I think one of the the best uh, illustrations of forgiveness is the feeding of someone. It's being able to sit around a table, around a fire, break bread with someone. You're fellowshipping with them. And oftentimes, we look at this conversation, conversation that Peter has with Jesus, and we say, oh, see, Jesus is being reinstated into the disciples. As if Peter was the only one who fled, as if Peter was the only one who who by their actions denied Jesus. Now, Jesus, Peter, by his words, denied Jesus. And so we look at Peter and we say, oh, Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And what he's doing is he's counteracting all the times Peter has messed up. Now, if he's going to do that, he needs to ask him, do you love me many more times than just three? Because Peter has messed up quite a bit. Now, I'm a big believer that if there's something in your Bible that you like, that is um, helpful to you, that you want to remember, you should write it down, underline it. I'm not a big cross it out kind of person, right? So we're not crossing words in the Bible out a whole lot. But if your Bible says Jesus reinstates Peter, that's not inspired. That's an, that's an editorial addition to the text, and I'm not, don't cross out all your headings, but I think this one, this particular heading is misleading. Let's look at the text, and then we'll tell you why. Oh, let me tell you about my, the sermon series we're having next week. I like it. Five million steps of salvation. I'm not going to tell you anything else about it. We're moving on. All right, so John 21. I promise you'll love it, okay? I promise. Um, five million steps of salvation. 
Uh, Alright, so John 21, verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he says, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, a lot has been made about this thing. And if you've heard a sermon on this topic before, you probably are going to be able to tell me exactly what I'm about to say. But in this passage, Jesus, there's, there's three different, well, there's more than three words for, um, for love in Greek, in Koine Greek, but there's, uh, there's three used in the New Testament. Um, and in, in this scripture, there's two. Jesus, there's the word agape, which is um, just like godly love, and the verb form of that is agapao, which is, yeah, agapao, it's a good one. And uh, it just rolls off the tongue, right? And so you got agapao, and, um, and then you got phileo, which is, uh, I love someone, like, like the way I, I would lo- I'd, I'd love you guys often, I would say, like, you're my friends, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're... There's somebody, it's, it's a brotherly love. It's, it's, it's the way we love each other often. Um, now, a lot has been made about the fact that Jesus here, he says, Peter, do you agapo me? And Peter says, yes, I phileo you. He says, do you agapo me? And he says, yes, I phileo you. And he says, do you agapo me? And he says, yes, I phileo you. You know I phileo you. So we've got these two words going on. It's been made that Peter says, Peter says, well, you know, it's, it's a lesser love. But they didn't. One, here's the problem with that, with making too much of those two things. Uh, they originally weren't speaking Greek. Like Jesus and Peter spoke Aramaic, and this is a translation of a conversation. It, actually, what we have is a translation of a translation of a conversation. Um, and so it could mean, it does mean a little, but it doesn't mean as much as we think it does often. And it, and, and it distracts us from the thing that the big thing that's happening here, there is a very big thing that's happening in this passage and we miss it because we get caught up in, well, do you love me? Noah? yeah, of course I love you. It's like the way we would say it. Um, do you, I've actually heard preachers say this. It's like Jesus asked, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, I like you. Actually, it's not like that at all. Um, We have a hard time understanding what it's like. We don't have three words for love. We have, we use the word love in a lot of different ways, but we don't have three words for love. But what's happening here on a bigger scale is actually, let's go back. All right, so, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Actually, probably wasn't that jerkish about it. Yes, good great. Yeah, he's... Yes, Lord, yes, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. First, he said, take care, um, or feed my lambs. And then he says, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Take care of my sheep. Do you love me? Ask him a third time. And Peter's upset because he asked him a third time. And he says, yes, of course. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. 
Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger and you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. All right. What we see in Peter, at least on the two sides of this conversation, what we see in Jesus is a resurrected Savior, someone who died on a cross all by himself, especially without Peter's presence. Died on a cross. None of his followers followed him to the cross. And Peter, we've got running away from Jesus, standing at a distance and denying him. A lot of times what, was, what is said here is, well, this is where Jesus forgives Peter. Probably not. I'm guessing he did that on the cross. What's happening here can only be found when we consider the third part of each conversation. You love me? Yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And if you've read the whole of John, if you've started in John 1, 1, and now you're at John 21, and he is, he's here saying, now you're the one that feeds the sheep. How many times in John has Jesus referred to himself as the shepherd? Quite a bit, actually. He actually at one point says, I am the good shepherd. He says, I am the gate, which actually was another way of referring to the fact that he was the shepherd. If you have questions about that, I'll, I'll answer them later. Actually, ask someone else. I'm just kidding. Uh, there is, so we've got, this, we've got this theme of Jesus, the leader of these guys, the guy who is now in charge. And he's saying, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes. Well, then your response, what, the way, what I want you to do because you love me, is I want you to be the shepherd now. This is not just Jesus letting Peter back into the disciples. This is Jesus making Peter in charge of them. He's given him the staff. He's given him the reins. Peter is the one now in charge of feeding the sheep and feeding the lambs and taking care of the sheep. Peter is the shepherd. Peter's the ruler. Not the ruler, but he's the leader. And we see that in Acts when Peter steps. Peter's the one who gives the sermon. Peter takes the reins. And there's a, there's a huge lesson to be learned here because... Um, the way we often think is the leader needs to be the one that hasn't made that many mistakes. And since we're in Arkansas, I can say, that's hogwash. That's nonsense. Because the, 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 most, the most wise people I've ever met are the ones who would tell you that the, their wisdom came from the mistakes they made. And we get to a place sometimes in church where we say, well, I'm kind of a respected member of this congregation. I don't need to look like I've ever sinned. Heaven forbid someone know. We're all pretty sure 
everybody else has sworn before, right? Can we at least admit, like we, we're all pretty sure that everybody else has done something they've regretted, said something they regretted, has, has hurt people that they didn't want to hurt, that have refused to forgive people that they needed to forgive, that have talked about people they love just because it make, made them feel good to know something that they needed to share. We're all pretty sure we're all broken. And it's those of us who acknowledge that we are broken. Those of you that acknowledge that you are broken and that you have learned from those mistakes and that you acknowledge those mistakes and that those mistakes have pained you, you need to be the leader. You need to take control. We need you. We don't need perfect people. Because perfect people are liars. People who I was actually I actually counseled a woman one time whose daughter she was just having a hard time connecting with, and she said, "I just don't know. I'm having a hard time connecting with her." I said, "Well, how? What? What? Why?" She said, "Well, because when I was her age, I just didn't really sin." I said, "Go figure. Go figure." Imagine us. And that, for some reason, that feels like the perfect example of the church, right? Sometimes it feels like we're the ones going, well, I'm having a hard time connecting with everyone because I just really don't sin. Get over this desire to appear more perfect than you are and give in to knowing that Jesus is the one that made you clean. He is not, you are not the one, you have not built some ethical ladder up to heaven and you say, well, I guess I deserve it since I'm so close. You, it is by the grace of God, the resurrection of the Savior, that you can even begin to believe that you can, that you can find acceptance in God's sight. And if you are the one who knows that for sure, knows... Uh, I can remember, I can point to a point in my life where I have needed mercy. I can give you the date. I can tell you what I did. I can tell you what I was wearing. I can tell you I needed mercy. You were shown it or you weren't shown it. Either way, you know what it feels like to need grace. I think the best Christians are the ones who know what it feels like to need the grace of God. And if, if you need the grace of God, well, then he's offering it. I'm going I'm to say this because I believe it's true and I believe we need to hear it. And we need to say it out loud and discuss it. The worst Christians are the ones who act like they don't. You're the worst kind of Christian if you act as though 24 hours a day you don't need anything from God. Then why are you following His Son? This appearance of perfection is not... Listen, if, if, if you are broken, we need you. If you, if, if, if you wrestle with anything... We need you. We don't need you just to be involved. We need you to, 
to, to, to come and join us and lead with us and, and be, a, be a powerful presence in our church because we need fewer and fewer perfect people. And when Jesus decided to give someone the reins to this movement that was going to change the world, he gave them to the one person who vocally said, no, I don't even know the guy. If you know what it feels like to need grace from Jesus, we need you to lead. Once had a guy come to me and offer, offer to mentor me. While he was doing it, he was hoisting a red flag up a flagpole. No one gets that imagery? Okay. That's fine. For me, when you, when you offer to be a mentor, that's a red flag. When someone's like, well, it's about time someone made me an elder. Nope. <laughs> you don't get to be one. The best elders are the ones who know, who know they don't, I don't deserve this. I'm not where I need to be to, if you approach someone and you say, I, I really think you could, would be a great elder, and they say, ah, no, that's not me. Make them an elder. Make them a deacon. Because we need more leaders who are humble and know, know they need the grace of Jesus. I want, I, you know there's circles in churches, right? There's, there's, um, there's, there's different levels. You got, you, you, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the preacher. <laughs> my, my voice started mimicking the president just then. I don't know why. I'm the preacher. Um, but then you got, well, and just depend on where you go. I mean, sometimes it's, well, poor little preacher's not an elder. Or poor little preacher, poor, poor little deacons haven't been promoted to elder yet. That's so... In my house, we'd call that D-U-M-B. We just got to spell those words still. If you couldn't keep up, ask someone next to you what word I just spelled. But so there's, it's so silly to think that, well, just, well, I'm, I'm not, I haven't given a title or an office or whatever. I don't know that much about the Bible. Do you know how much Peter knew about the Bible? Not much. The Holy Spirit brought it when he decided to step up and start leading. But the, the requirements for Peter to lead, for Peter to step up and have a role in the church, was do you love me? Of course I love you. Then you're in charge. Finding the broken who know what it feels like to need the love of God, to experience the grace of Jesus, and those people, because they've experienced it, love God all the more. If, if you're at that point in your life where you think, I just don't, I can't, I'm going to come to church, but I just, I'm not really like good of a person to be like a worker in the church. I think we need you more than any, anybody. We need, we need to let the world know we're broken. 
We need to let the world know we're not perfect. We need to let the world know that we don't have all the answers and we haven't got the Bible completely figured out. We haven't got God completely figured out. All we know is we've got this resurrected king who wants us to follow us and we're going to follow him. We can't project perfection. It's the worst mistake churches make because they think God is looking for perfect people and he's not. If he was looking for perfect people, he would have just killed all the imperfect people. And we'd all be dead except Rachel. So what, <laughs> what we're what we're hope what he needs is people who know what brokenness feels like. Who knows we know what grace feels like. We know what mercy feels like. You know, Jesus often says things like this. For, you know, we, we talk about a lot about salvation issues, right? Um, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the five million steps of salvation is our typical little list of five, how that just doesn't need to be a one and done sort of thing. But we talk about salvation issues and we say, well, is this a salvation issue or not? Is this something that we can still be friends about if we disagree about? But Jesus' only salvation issues were, did you take care of the people who needed to be taken care of? And, if you count these, he used a system of measures. He said, if you for, the way you forgive others, that's the way you will be forgiven. And he used another system of measure, and he said, the way you judge is the way you will be judged. Now... A lot of us aren't very good at forgiving other people because we aren't that sure we need that much forgiveness. And that is sin. You need it every day from the people you live with to the people from your family, from the people at work. You're a broken person. Great. God can use it. God has rarely been an artist whose medium was perfection. It's always been brokenness and chaos. Always. Find me a perfect person in the Bible other than Jesus. And I'm going to tell you you're reading it wrong. God uses brokenness and if you think your brokenness should keep you from serving God that is Satan telling you a lie that will break your life in two if you feel like you need to be perfect before you can be saved or you need to get over that this thing or that thing before you can be in relationship with Jesus that is Satan's lie to you Satan wants you to believe that you're just going to have to build your own ladder and eventually Jesus will let you in through the back door of heaven because they pulled up the drawbridge and nobody's getting in. But Jesus says, do you love me? If the answer is yes, his response is, well, come on, follow me. Do you need forgiveness? The church should just all say yes. And if you need forgiveness, then follow him and accept it. 
But don't let your need for forgiveness somehow keep you from seeking the one who forgives. Does that that track how backward that is? God needs you to follow his son. We need you to help us bring heaven to earth. To have his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need you to serve people that God would have us to serve. We might just need you to be a leader. Now your response may be, well, I don't know, I'm just not good enough. That, that makes you so qualified. It makes you so qualified. Because God can use the broken among us. Actually, I would argue that he only uses the broken. Those, as he says earlier in John, those who think they can see are blind and those who recognize their blindness will receive sight. Those who sit down at the head of the table will be moved to the foot and those who sit at the foot of the table will be moved to the head. Those who think they are broken should lead and those who think they are perfect should think about it just a little bit longer. If you want to commit to Jesus, to following Jesus, if, you want to, if you've committed to following Jesus but you've never really been involved with church, if you want to commit to following Jesus, if you want to commit to working with a church, these are commitments worth making, steps worth taking. And an invitation worth responding to. Whatever you need this morning. Whatever commitment you need to make. Whatever perfection you need to shed. Let's give up these images that we make of ourselves. These perfections. These caricatures of goodness. We're not all we've cracked up to be. But let's let the grace of God rule in our community. And let the grace of God be present and felt. And have its effect on our community. If you need anything this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.